Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates. In today's episode, I'm talking to guitarist Peter Bernstein. The first time I heard Peter Bernstein was on The Intimacy of the Blues, the first Larry Golding's trio album that my parents used to listen to a lot, and I really liked that album. When I got more into buying my own records, I bought Hearts Content. I really lived with that album for a while, listening to it oftentimes, but also playing along with it quite a lot. I became in awe of Peter's sound and his extraordinary talent for melody. Another important record during that time was Sweet Science by the Larry Golding's trio. Among my favorite albums of Peter are Monk, Solo Guitar and Life at Smalls, Hearts Content and Earth Tones, and of course all the other albums with the Golding's Bernstein Stewart trio. Since I started this interview series, I got to talk to Peter's longtime musical partners, Larry Goldings and Bill Stewart, and I'm really happy to finally include Peter himself in this series of interviews now. We talk about melodic lines, his teacher Ted Dunbar, playing with Sonny Rollins, guitar keys and open strings, Monk's music, the lesson with Keith Jarrett, the Goldings Bernstein Stewart trio, and much more. Hope you enjoy. I was always drawn to a lot of things in your playing, but the main focus was always, I was so in awe of your ability to play um, the deep melodic lines. Uh, and, and no matter where, how complex the, the chord sequence is, you always find those notes that stick out and that take me as a listener with you. And I was wondering how you worked on that. And uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to find, you know, juicy notes, mm -hmm. the notes that seem ripe, you know, and then leave the other ones hanging on the tree, you know, that yeah. you may don't want right now, but you might pick later. Yeah. You know? So that's the. I had a great teacher, uh, Ted Dunbar, yeah. who was, you know, had a, he had a, a lot of pedagogy in his his teaching. Everything was kind of organized into different things, but he really made the guitar player, all the students learn the scales mm. uh, to learn the fingerboard. And that was the thing. You've got to know your scales. That's the way you learn how the fingerboard is laid out. But when you play music and you improvise, the last thing you want to think about is scales. Right. So what you need to do is take these scales, which you're learning anyway and organizing the fingerboard, kind of organizing harmony in your as you learn about it. But it's very important that you get to know each note of the scale and learn how to make a phrase around each note as if you're as if it's a word and you're making a sentence around right. that word so that it almost that, that that note has a meaning to you mm -hmm. you use it in a phrase and uh it's not about finding the perfect phrase and then using that phrase every time you want to feature that note it's more just about really getting to learn sounds of the and not really thinking of it as a scale but just a collection of notes a family Mm. And then you go outside of the family, and you can bring in other notes from from outside the family that just make it make it uh, even more colorful. You're not, you're not you're not limited by the scale, but that's the way you learn to organize, you know, and playing on sound. So he, he was always that stuck with me a lot about making phrases that are about a certain note in the scale. So when I learn songs, I kind of try to think, oh, that phrase is about this note. Mm -hmm. and, and there's many great examples of it in, in the melodies that we try to learn from all through music history, all the great melodies, and they're just like, the way they use notes in support and notes that are featured. 
You know, that, right. that concept stuck with me. So that's, I've worked on it. It's just kind of working on my ears and learning what those notes, you know, mean to me and kind of how they, how they're, you know, how to work with them. Like, uh, like you might try to work, be a, be a chef and learn how to work with certain ingredients. And you keep trying new things, but trying to bring out the ingredient you know, as best you right. can. But melodic lines and stuff, I just, I studied it guys that sound melodic to me. You know? Yeah. Can you name yeah. someone? Well, I mean, well, this goes back to before I was even into jazz, but in, in the world of jazz, I mean, the great melody players like Louis Armstrong, Lester Young, mm-hmm. Miles, of course, and then, of course, to me, Charlie Parker and Sonny Rollins and right. Coltrane, all really beautiful melodies. And so it's just about hearing how guys use these this language to, mm-hmm. you know, to express themselves, but everything, melody, you know, all things melody, Stevie Wonder, the right. Beatles, you know, classical music. But you can't really separate melody from harmony, right? I mean, I feel like your melodies are full of yeah. information for... Well, that's, yeah. If, that's, you, if I would just listen to your lines, I would know the changes to songs, you know? Well, that's, that's well, you're trying to be harmonically specific and be clear to a certain degree when you play but then <clears throat> fun is also abs- how you abstract that right you know you can be less obvious if you know how to be obvious maybe to me so it's kind of maybe going more abstract from something that is you know just obviously the extreme would be just delineating changes but you don't mm. want to just run up and down the chords you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that but to have your lines informed by what the harmony is and mm-hmm. also try to stretch a little bit and you know look for look for the interesting notes, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, melody you cannot separate from harmony. You also can't separate from rhythm. You know? So yeah. that's the thing too. It's all about placement and you know, melodic rhythm, where the notes are in the, in the bar line. That's the whole thing about bird. And mm-hmm. that, that, that whole language is well. the rhythmic thing by where the notes are in the phrase, you know, how, they, how he leans on certain things. So. You've mentioned Sonny Rollins, and you've yeah. actually played with him. And I'm, I'm wondering what kind of lessons you got from him. Is there the, oh, any yeah, instructions that he gave you, or um, that you still remember? Or, or, um, well, I mean, I got to do like 30 gigs with him, like wow. between uh, 2010, where I just stubbed on a few gigs, and then 2011, part of 2012. So we did about 30 gigs, and yeah, I never got over the fact that oh my God, Sonny Rollins <laughs> yeah. is like. He's five feet away from me, and mm-hmm. I was, you know, was just like, it, 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 it was, I was amazed. In terms of instruction that he gave me, it was just more like he really wanted a conversation. I think he was aware that right. he, he intimidated people, too. You know, like, <laughs> but it was like, he just, you know, don't worry about stepping on my toes. Just like, mm-hmm. just don't be polite. Just, you know, of course, you know, when you're in the presence of certain, you will yeah. be polite. Or, but that's what he wanted, and... and A lot of times he would kind of keep playing when he wasn't soloing, and, and the main thing to learn was just to, okay, he's not going to stop playing. Just just yeah. jump in and become part of the of the conversation. And the more you can converse and get into that with him, the more the more he liked it. So huh. it was really just a thing of like, you know, yeah, just kind of talk, you know. Yeah. But you're talking with like the Oracle of Delphi, you yeah. know. So yeah. it's kind of like, well, you have to learn how to try to be as relaxed as possible. I just saw, I saw a video today of you guys playing together. 
uh, Don't Stop the Carnival. Mm-hmm. Which is, that was, that, that was like, numbers. Yeah. Don't yeah. Stop uh, was uh, supposed to be the topic, I think, because it was right. 20 yeah. minutes yeah. of a flat minutes. turnaround. That's it. That's and I was wondering, there was one moment where, okay, is, is this Pete Solo now or is it still? Uh, yeah, well, okay. that's right. That's what he kept. Yeah. He kept, you know, and there was no chordal instrument for me, so he kept. Yeah, would keep playing, and that was yeah. you know, that was really fun. I mean, the deepest thing was at a at a kind of a rehearsal for a drummer who was going to be subbing on a couple of gigs, and we're trying to get this calypso right. And it wasn't really coming together, and it was you know a little bit tense. And finally, you know, Sonny was saying things to the drummer that you know were abstract, and I was kind of like, well, I'm not sure how he would necessarily change what he's doing after hearing it. But mm. he knew that it wasn't there yet. And finally he turned around and started feeling good. Sonny was really, you know, he stopped playing. Yeah, that's it. That's the feeling we want. That's, that's, that's good. That's, that's, that's good. That's where it's at. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the feeling we want. And the drummer really wanted to, uh, you know, he was so happy to get some positive yeah, feedback. Yeah. And he really wanted to, he was so reverent as we all were, you know, I wasn't Sonny, like, also like to, to you know, want it to be happy, so he said, "You know, now on this kind of clip, so the drummer asked him, would the snare drum be open or closed?" It's a valid question. You know, what's the what's the proper sound? And Sonny kind of sat there for a good, I mean, 20, 30 seconds, which felt like a long time because yeah. we wasn't sure what was coming next. And he said, "You know, if the music feels right and uh, everything is cool, you know, you can do what you want. You're here to make decisions." Mm. And you know that's 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 what jazz musicians are supposed to do. You decide what you should do. Yeah. And if, you, if you're playing for the music, it's all it's right. Yeah. If you believe it's right. Yeah. That was the, I mean I'm ad living on what he said, but that was the basic thing. And and the thing that stuck with me, and this is verbatim. He said, if you think about it, you couldn't be in a more of a privileged position to be able to you know to make decisions. And that that struck me because you know all that. I mean I was this was almost ten years ago now, but been a long time trying to learn how to play and I'm yeah. whatever, doing it and playing and feeling like, you know, this is, um, improvising was important to me. I didn't want to play the same old things, but I never heard it put in the sense of like, we're lucky that we can choose what we play. We take, take it for granted. You yeah, play jazz, absolutely. You know, he said, he also said, you know, there's great musicians and symphonies all around the world that have to play what's put in front of them. He was like, you know, we can... We make up our own things, yeah. and and that's incredible privilege to do that. So of course, with the privilege comes responsibility. Like you have to play yeah. for the music, but but that was a deep thing that put something in another perspective for me beyond style or trying to play what's hip, what's not hip. It's really like this is the idea. This is mm. the concept behind improvising. Is that you know we get to decide. We're making decisions. It right. should be based on a deeper thing than what you think you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that mm-hmm. was the question. That's probably why he went there. Yeah, what yeah, am I yeah. supposed to do? What's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. More important than being right is to be in touch with the idea of, you know, I'm making decisions up here. So mm-hmm. you own those decisions. You take right. responsibility for your decisions and you, you know, that's what it's about. So that was a pivotal moment where mm-hmm. it kind of hit me like, this is, this is what, this is what it provides me. Beats, you know. Yeah. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful, <laughs> and, and just to hear him every night, just like every, just the audacity, like he would just play stuff that was just like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, just like 
searching and and I mean, of course, I mean, Sonny taught us all how to play, like how to interpret a standard, how to right. you know so many things about like you know. Do you have a favorite record? Of his, I think there's a lot of them. I mean, I have ones that kind of hit me at certain pivotal moments. Of course, the bridge, and, right? And uh, but a lot of like Nukes Time, of course, and uh, Saxophone Colossus. I listen to a lot. All those mm -hmm. and, and, and all the stuff with Clifford Brown. I love, I love oh yeah. those records and uh, two on, the two records on Blue Note, especially Volume Two with J.J. Johnson. Mm -hmm. A couple of tunes with Monk. And yeah, that's and uh, Horace Silver. Yeah, Volume Mr. Two. Mr. Rioso, they play Mr. right. Mr. Rioso yeah. and Reflections. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's some of my favorite. That's killing. Yeah, Monk is. How was it to get? Uh, did you ask Bob Crenshaw any any questions like yeah. how to to function in that group? Yeah, or? well, it was like Crenshaw was. I mean, he was so beautiful. I mean, he was the greatest guy, and uh, mm. I mean, he went back so far with Sonny too. It was really, you know, like they had such a history together. And, uh, but but Crenshaw was. I mean, he would hold it down. He wasn't. Yeah. You know, that was his whole thing was the function of the bass and the groove. That's what he was about. So. Between the, you know, there was two very strong things to try to get in between, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it was always about trying to chase Sonny out into the other keys he would go into as much as just <coughs> try to make that sound like maybe the way he you would hear it against us against the sound as opposed mm. to just like you know trying to play with what I think he's going to play or mm -hmm. follow him out because he would play very strong melodic things, but then he would just kind of play all these, like, kind of phrases in parentheses, you know, kind yeah. of, and they'd be in any key. Mm -hmm. Very chromatic and very abstract, so yeah. I think it was about trying to acknowledge those things were there without trying to, you to, know, to follow hold it down yeah, yeah, yeah. and hold it down and, and just lock in with Bob, because that was yeah. follow his bass line, you know. But still, how do you make it so interesting playing 20-minute a flat oh, around, you well know. that's hard. That's because it was super interesting. I was really? like, okay, yep. what's the next wow. chord that he's yeah. going to play, you know? <laughs> and uh, I imagine you doing that because that was kind of his signature tune after, of course, uh, right, yeah. in the later yeah. years. So uh, you would have to play that 30 times yeah. with him. Yeah, so we played a lot of you, calypsos, yeah. So how did you go about it? Oh, man. Well, I, I mean, you just, it's... Uh, I think his whole thing with playing things long was just to kind of get past the wall of the things that you kind of just do. Yeah. To get past that and yeah. go into some other place. Like he would kind of, instead of trying to avoid certain things, he would just kind of play his stuff and then reach past, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of to do with... with George Coleman is like that too. He plays long, mm -hmm. you know. Not that they're playing uninteresting things in the beginning and then they get to the interesting stuff. It's always... But the, just the idea to keep going and keep searching is like, I mean, I think it just comes from them having lots of ideas, <laughs> lots of things that they want to try. You know, the like recording that. Of, of Sonny Rollins playing 40 minutes of four in, in Copenhagen, oh my God, that's like, yeah. it, it doesn't yeah, stop. No, it it's, doesn't it's stop, uh, it just keeps on going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I was feeling like, wow, we have playing this a long time <laughs> and what are people like are they in a trance mm -hmm. they're not experiencing you know what we're experiencing by playing it so I, I just wonder about that and like yeah. when I play my own gigs I always feel conscious about you know playing too long but I mean I think mm -hmm. it's just with charisma like, like that, that they have they can just like 
I'm going to keep playing. Just try to find some other stuff. Mm. And I think it's also like you're playing so long and you still have your strength. It just becomes a, that's the way to get into your, into your groove. It's just to play through the conscious stuff into right. subconscious. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. When I listen to guitar players, especially maybe in the, the say, guitar players from the last 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. you know, that generation, I hear a lot of songs in E and A and D, uh -huh. G and B, well, you know. Guitar keys. Yeah. yeah. Right. When I hear you and your compositions, I don't seem to hear those keys so the often. Keys, yeah. Uh, I hear you playing in F minor and C. You know, yeah. of course, you always also go there, but uh, right. I kind of feel like you're um, in terms of choices of keys, or maybe also, you know, you feel more to me like a home player. And uh, I was wondering, yeah. if, is that a conscious thing of you, or not really? But I do. I mean, I listen to a lot of foreign music, so mm. you kind of get of how certain things sound in certain keys, but not just horns, it's also, it's also the bass and just the sounds of certain keys. Yeah. I don't know, I mean, I don't really think about it all that much. Yeah. I just try to, I, I had written some tunes and changed the key mm -hmm. to kind of find like what I thought was a better character for it, but yeah. I think those open string keys are really more for writing things that are around the guitar. Yeah. You know, maybe centered around guitaristic things, and I just, I don't really write that much in that way so mm -hmm. but I'm really into open strings and especially the way Jim Hall used open strings which was in the flat keys like mm -hmm. he would use the open strings they'd be ringing out and they'd be the color tone so if yeah. Jim Hall's playing you know turn around to D flat mm. make them all dominant seventh chords you have G B and E on top of right. you know one six two five and they're all yeah. tension notes so you get a different sound when the open strings are are those uh dissonant notes. You yeah, know, so. I wanted to say the same thing yeah. with you, actually. I feel yeah. like you have incorporated the open strings in a very personal uh, way to yeah. your voices, and that way I think you found new voicing yeah. and added that yeah. to the vocabulary. It's hard know? to say. People, a lot of people have been playing guitar for a long time. Yeah, sure, everybody's played, stumbled across pretty much everything by now, but it, yeah, it's a, way, <clears throat> it's a way you use it and, and you know, just trying to... Uh, use the open strings to create some, some tension or mm. just some kind of inter intervals that you can't, because guitar is limited. It's not like piano where you can just, yeah. you want to add another note to that chord, there's, there's another finger there that you, can, yeah. you can use to do it. Guitar is really about, you know, finding little, you know, more, more things to do with the, the way the intervals play off each other in, in the voicing. It's mm -hmm. more like Monk. That was a big inspiration. Like the way he would play voicings were just about this is an interval of a seventh, and then yeah. above the seventh, it's a tenth. That's yeah. the chord. It's yeah. not anything else in between because then you're messing up those big intervals. So, yes. and, and Monk to have for Monk to have the restraint to do that, or just to really say, I like the, the way these tones vibrate, yeah. and not to put his hands down like most piano players do. Mm. It's just like show that he was thinking about that. But on the guitar, you have to reduce. You have no choice. So yeah. you're trying to reduce in the, in the hippest ways. And, <laughs> you know, and Monk was a great example of like, yeah, you don't need a lot of notes in the chord. It's about... Yeah. And then he would phrase the notes in the chords differently too. Mm. And that's a kind of technique, you know, non-velocity technique, but mm -hmm. the technique of how to play a chord, you know, 
bring out a certain note in the chorus. Mm. Open strings do that because they ring differently, so it's almost like you hit it in a different way. Absolutely. It's got a different character. So. Yeah. I feel like you, you've worked a lot on Monk's music because when you yeah. play his music, it really, really shines I'm through. Still working on it. Yeah. For sure. How do you work on it? Just by playing the tunes and trying to you know, find the little things in it to make it just to be respectful of the tune, not to play it just like melody and changes, of course. You kind mm. of miss the point a lot of times if you just do that, but find little little things in there, but at the same time, not just try to play, you know, monk-like things, but try to get, because like, the great horn players that played with Monk, you know, Sonny, Charlie Rouse, mm -hmm. Johnny Griffin, Train, they all yeah. they all played themselves, I'm not going to like, yeah. you know. But to, to play yourself and then to play the character of the composition, you know, Monk creates, you know, presents that challenge to you. you know. What's the latest uh, Monk tune that you've learned? The latest Monk tune I've learned? I don't know. I kind of keep going back and trying to relearn. You know, relearn. Yeah. yeah, Light Blue. I've still, you know, yep. played that one the other night. I haven't played it in a long time. I, like, I love that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm overdue to like tackle something. One actually, yeah, a trinkle tinkle. I've messed with, Ooh, but I can't. Yeah. I can't seem to get it. Like, yeah, you know, I found ready. his original sheet. I can <laughs> really, you yeah. it out. That's funny because apparently he would never show people the music. Yeah, that he would just like make them learn it. Yeah, it's <laughs> finally finding its way through the internet. I wow, think. Yeah. wow, yeah, yeah. That's a hard one, but yes. uh, it's brilliant. Mm. I want to get your perspective on something I talked to Larry about, and that's the lesson that, or the lessons that Larry took with Keith Jarrett. Ah. And on one of the lessons he taught me, he brought you, or he maybe it was a couple of lessons. And no, just once, just once. He was very uh, sad that uh, Keith liked you wow. <laughs> so much, and it was really. Uh, he told you about that. Yeah, he told you. So I want to get That's not really true. That's not really true because Larry was a student, and yeah. uh, you know. I was I was just there kind of as a as a guest, so there was mm. no. You know, I think he was holding me to the same. I, I couldn't play at all those days. I don't know, you know. <laughs> that, that that's 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 the truth. So he was being kind, but uh, it was a great experience. I mean, just to be around, you know, to be in his presence for you know, an hour and a half, a couple hours. And just right. Played some songs for him, and then uh, he talked a lot about stuff and. Uh, We all played one together. He had two pianos in the studio. Yep. We played in your own sweet way. Right. And uh, it was a pretty crazy experience. I mean, yep. two pianos and a guitar was yeah. an unusual, but it was just like, hey, but it's cool, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, you know, the music shows had a big effect on I mean, I think, you know, I'll say, if he only ever made Facing You, That would be right. enough yeah. to just make him one of the heaviest yeah, guys absolutely. ever. That's my favorite so, of his, too. So, yeah. you know, just it, but then there's so much other great things. And then that's, mm. that's, you know, really not that. Only 10 years or so before he started playing with, or 12 or so before I started playing with the trio and really right. got back into standards. And, but uh, I do keep going back to that one. And, you know, and the stuff with Dewey Redman and oh, Paul yeah. Motion and Charlie Hayden, I love that group, too. His writing yeah, really unique, you know. Mm. But uh, yeah, that was just a kind of a surreal early brush with like a super heavy guy that so few people have really had any kind of up, so I, up close. Yeah, yeah, that's why I just was. It was I guess it happened, but you know, 
so long ago now, and, mm. and really like it just seemed like a, you know. Did he give any advice? Uh, to me? Yeah, I, stuff that you should try or? Um, um, it was it was really Larry's lesson, mm. you know, and I think he, he was talking to both of us when he said it's really important to play lives that have dynamic. You know, mm. that you're thinking about just the way you would speak a sentence, you know, not intoning all the words in the sentence the same way. The yeah. phrase is like, takes air and there should be a feeling of, you know, the phrase having a, having an arc of some <clears> kind, <throat> just, just to make it more human, more, more, more lyrical sounding. Mm. That, was, that was the point that I remember him, him making. Him. Yeah. Yeah, he does that. But uh it was really yeah, he's a really serious guy too, like very I think he felt very misunderstood in a way and I kind of felt like you know, wow, it's, you know I thought he'd be happier. <laughs> like you know, gotta you know, doing his thing all over the world. Yeah. Revered and he was still a pretty young guy. This was nineteen eighty five when we went mm. there because I was it was my last so you're going to play with the trio and you've been yeah. playing together for almost 30 years or 30 years this is yeah this is the 30th yeah is we started it? playing around 1988 can you name uh, like a couple of virtues that you've kind of picked up from those guys that you get, got wow. to learn from Bill and, and Larry. Yeah, well, just the level of you know intensity, consistent creativity. So it's a great feeling to play with the same guys for so long because while you're comfortable with them, you also feel like these guys have heard all my shit by now. So yeah. I really, every night, I, you, you got to look for something. It's not about mm. just, oh, we got to do the show. There's no show, you know. Yeah. The show for them, in terms of how I, my perspective, is that they're always finding new stuff even if we play a song that we haven't played for almost 30 yeah. years and there are some that we still do but it's, it's always a freshness and there's always like a, I always know it's going to be like solid and also loose so yeah that's that's the, that's the lesson that's the challenge I balance those two things you know solid and loose yeah just you know tight but also you know you can go anywhere and there's a openness to it yeah so That's what that's you want. A, yeah, that's what you what wish you want. for. Yeah, not too loose. Yeah, you know, and not too tight either. Yeah, you know, great. They're both. Uh, you know. Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a blessing to be able to. I mean, you know, to be able to somehow be still playing together after 30 years. Mm. It's just it's a miracle logistically that it can still happen and that mm -hmm. we're still doing it. And hey, why not? Thanks for listening to Pablo Held Investigates. If you like the interviews, subscribe to this channel. Also, you can check out all my previous interviews on YouTube for the respective video versions. They will slowly be posted here as well. To be notified for new interviews, you can subscribe to my newsletter on my website at pabloheld.com or find me on social media. I'm at Pablo Held Music on Instagram and on Facebook.
Doing these interviews is a lot of fun, but also lots of work that I'm doing in addition to my touring and teaching schedule and my family life. So if you would like to support the interview series, please consider donating at steadyhq.com slash pabloheld. That's steadyhq.com slash pabloheld. Thanks for listening. Thank you.